Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. Just a crazy, chaotic finish to Sunday's game. What was Paul's perspective from the sideline? But I'll go back to how the game started. That's where the game was lost. The season, though, is not. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 601, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So I think everyone needs to be uplifted here on this Monday following what was a disappointing, a very disappointing loss to the Philadelphia Eagles the day before, 20-17. to 17. So some poly positivity via Craig Grealoux here on Cardinals Cover 2. Well, you better find someone else, Gree. You, 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 you put, got the wrong player in the game right now. I got a smoking headache on this Monday morning, a little salty over here. Okay, so uh, guess what? I'm going to have to outsource the positivity. I don't know. Open this door to the studio. We'll go find someone off the street because it's definitely not me right now. Here's the positive that you can take away from week five. Please. I'm right, where's my pen? I'm writing this down. All right. The Rams? Hey, they're two and three. Yep. The Seahawks, they're two and three. And the Bengals are two and three. Now, what do those two of those three teams have in common with the Arizona Cardinals? Well, let's see. Uh, two of the teams were Super Bowl teams. Bingo. Okay. And the they- Super Bowl participants from a year ago had the same record as your Arizona Cardinals right. through five weeks. And because I enjoy saying it, I'm just going to finish my thought by saying, and the other team was in last place, the last place Seahawks a year ago. And by the way, Geno Smith with a couple of money deep oh, shots. God. Man, those were right on target. Were they not? Geno, who are you? What exactly awaits the Arizona Cardinals in week six at Seattle? That is all of a sudden – this is a very intriguing matchup that we don't really have time for right now because it's a Monday and we got to talk about week five. Yeah, we can get into the Seattle Seahawks later on in the week. And Geno Smith, who I believe is the top-rated passer when it comes to completion percentage no. in the National Football League. It okay. Boggles the mind. Yeah, all right. I mean, we all have a chance at anything in life if that's the case. <laughs> So there's your positivity, Gree. Okay, after seven years on the bench and absolutely zero believers, don't even tell me the Seahawks were believers in Geno. I, we all think it was still their, their game plan to tank and get a top quarterback in this coming draft. So if you're looking for positivity, if Geno can do it, we can all do it. All right, what the Cardinals cannot do is once again get off to a slow start. It oh. happened once again. And they – did not execute down this stretch. And that seems to be where everyone's focus is. It certainly was on Cardinal Talk on how the game ended. Those last minute and 45 seconds of regulation as far as sliding short of the line to gain, spiking it on third down, forcing at that moment a field goal with still time on the clock. Paul, you have a great perspective. You are field level. It was chaotic and a lot of scrambling going on in real time. It is very easy post game the next day to go hindsight and say, well, you should have done X, Y, and Z or A, B, and C. But 
in real time on the sideline, what was those moments, those final seconds like? Look, it's always chaotic. It really is. It's controlled chaos. To what degree? I mean, even even the all-time greats who have done it for more than a decade at a very high level, the Kurt Warners, the Carson Palmers, there's always a control chaos aspect to it because you're trying to get 11 guys in concert, get them in sync. So, look, you know, it comes down to this. The sideline genuinely thought that was a first down on the run and slide by Kyler. And they called the next play accordingly. They, they called a spike to stop the clock. Now, ultimately, is that truly that game-changing? Let's say it was a first down. Let's say they do stop the clock. There's still somewhere between 25 and 30 seconds left in the game. Does that necessarily say they're going to take a shot to the end zone? Do they, do they really have enough time? And is the risk-reward there to compensate for a backup kicker and really try and go for the end zone? Maybe. Maybe one shot, perhaps. Cliff Kingsbury definitely didn't sound too inclined to have that mindset after the game. So, look, you went, you drove from the 25 to the opponent's 25, and you set up a 43-yard game-tying field goal attempt that even in college you play for that field goal attempt to tie and then take it into overtime considering the situation. So, yes, the kicker failed, but there were plenty of other failures, in particular the start of the game and getting down 14 to nothing. It's incomprehensible you have gone five straight games without a single point in the first quarter. And you know what? It wasn't just the offense. It was the defense's inability to defend a screen, for example. This just in. Even those of us who have only played high school football, if you're not getting blocked, your alert should go up. The radar should go off that guess what, something's afoot, it's probably a screen. Because how many screens did the Eagles hit the Cardinals with on those two touchdown drives? And so you see the coaches come to the sideline, and they're not necessarily making some sort of revolutionary game plan alteration or adjustment. They're just trying to coach up defending the screen. And so overall, Green, the good news, bad news. The bad news, I'll start with that. I think the football IQ – in a lot of ways, on both sides of the ball, is low. Is not where it needs to be right now. The good news is that is correctable. The good news is there are plenty of veterans who have the football IQ. You're just trying to raise the tide that's going to lift all boats, all the younger, more inexperienced players, and, and get everyone to the level of where the football IQ is what you need to be a winning team because in the NFL, so many games are decided by a single score. Through the first three weeks, there were 18 games decided by a field goal or less. That was an NFL record for a start to a season the first three weeks. So these games are closer than ever for the most part, and you can't afford those sort of mistakes. And in this case, the Cardinals truly were their worst enemy uh, too often to get a win against a 5-0 and team. When you are just okay as far as your offense, defense, and special teams, and you're playing close games, you always goes back to a handful of plays, whether in the first quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, whatever it is. But just dissecting that final drive when you take over without timeout, you lose one because Jalen Thompson gets hurt, got the wind knocked out of him, he told you on post game. And rule is, inside of two minutes, you lose a timeout in an injury situation. And that ultimately came back to haunt the Cardinals. So bad luck there. But a minute 45, Paul, that is plenty of time to drive the length of the field, either in field goal range or a touchdown. Cardinals did get 
into field goal range. But knowing this kicker off the street and his struggles from 40 to 49, talking with the coaches during the week prior to, they liked Matt Amendola's leg strength. The question was his accuracy from 40-plus yards. And I didn't realize until after the game that Fox had showed the pregame reel, the montage of his pregame misses. And they all had one thing in common. They were all wide right. And sure enough, what he did in the pregame materialized during the game. So you wonder, at, as of this recording, what are the Cardinals going to do at kicker? Uh, is there someone else available? Can you trust this kicker going forward? Do you need to make the move for the sake of making a move to hold – people accountable in those situations and restore confidence in the locker room? I don't know. Justin Pugh obviously came to his defense. I agree with some of what Justin said. I disagree with other aspects of his rant against the media and and them waiting to talk to Matt Amendola. But there was a 43-yard field goal attempt that, you know what, didn't have to be that long if Kyler doesn't miss Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz was wide open on second and eight. So, there is enough blame to go around. There's there's, there's Kyler missing Zach Ertz in a money-critical situation. There's Hollywood Brown dropping what could have been a catch-and-run for a touchdown, a, a big play explosive at the very least. You know, you go back to the, the, lad, the prior home loss when Kyler missed Hollywood Brown deep against the Rams. So there have been game-changing mistakes that you just don't figure Kyler – over his first three years in the league, was among the league leaders in deep ball percentage and accuracy. And, and it just hasn't been there this year often enough for the Cardinals once again to win these close games. Those are the mistakes that are, that are killing this offense in particular. Too many people to blame for how that game ended. And I'll even go back before that missed deep shot to Zach Ertz because you get that ball there at the Eagles' 35-yard line and you still have over a minute to go in the game but the play before that in fact it was the first play of that series Kyler Murray runs for 15 yards ran towards the right sideline didn't get out of bounds chose to gain a couple of extra yards and I understand but that moment you needed to get out of bounds to stop the clock instead the clock clock is moving you find Zach Gertz for seven yards and then there on second and three Kelvin Beecham called for a false start now, in the press box, difficult to really gauge how loud it got in that building, how many Eagles fans were in that building. So I ask you, Paul, on the sideline, that false start because of the number of Eagles fans yelling inside State Farm Stadium. Two things on that. Number one, it was definitely a false start. I, I saw it with my own naked eye just on the far side of the field. I immediately said into the microphone to our producer, you know, Jim Omohundro, after they blew the whistle and threw the flag, 68. It was Calvin Beecham. He, he, he left too early. Now, they were showing zero. They were showing some sort of exotic blitz where they, they don't do a whole bunch of, so maybe he got a little jumpy and wanted to get a head start getting to the edge and, and preventing the, you know, the, the Eagles from, from barnstorming the pocket. I get it. Um, in terms of the, the crowd noise, Cardinals were in the silent count. They were in the silent count often enough. And I, I also think it's just a theory. It's one of the reasons Justin Pugh was a little salty after the game because he spent much of the game as the guy turning, looking into the backfield, making eye contact with Kyler, and then tapping the center. That's their silent count. That's the rhythm. That's the cadence with which they snap the ball. In that instance, Kelvin Beecham got off. It was a false start. So it happened often enough. It wasn't the entirety of the game. Honestly, I've heard it louder. 
When the 12s used to invade the State Farm Stadium during the height of the Legion of Boom, Seahawks fans were definitely louder. Packers fans last night in prime or last year in prime time, they were definitely loud and vocal. Cardinals aren't the only stadium where this happens. Look at the way Niners fans invade SoFi. I mean, the Rams were trying anything and everything to limit the sale of tickets last year in the NFC Championship get Niners fans because Matthew Stafford earlier in the season had to go silent caught almost the entirety. Of their, and the Cowboys came into yep. SoFi last year and did the same thing. So it happens uh, at destination cities with sunshine where fans like to travel. Um, now, did that decide the game? No. Did it irritate the Cardinals' offensive lineman? They had to deal with that at home. And here's the bigger question, because Nick Sirianni said it after the game that he thought it impacted Kyler's communication. Those are the words of Nick Sirianni. And uh, unfortunately, no one asked Kyler that after the game. Uh, but uh, that's something I am going to ask Cliff Kingsbury a little bit later today. To what degree was the Cardinals' offensive communication hampered or hindered by the Eagles fans in attendance? A lot of calls post-game on Cardinal talk. Cardinal fans upset on their season ticket holders that sold their ticket. And again, not going to tell people what to do with their money or their tickets. You certainly don't like to see it. In this case, obviously hear it. But all right, now, and we discussed it, in pregame, change things up. If this was going to be a quote-unquote road game in your home building, Cardinals are very good on the road. They know how to handle crowd noise. So it's unfortunate that it happens in your own building. But a false start on second and three, now you're looking at second and eight. It's those little things. So don't point your finger at the kicker. Don't point your finger at the quarterback. Don't point your finger at the head coach. Point all of your fingers at every single person on that offense and on the sideline, the coaches, as far as what went wrong in those final two minutes. Well, and let's keep it real. Okay, we're in the trust tree here on Cardinals Cover 2, right? Uh, brought to you by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Don't lose seven home games in a row. It's now eight. Don't give the fans even further reason to sell their tickets. Hey, look, this has been a pattern for 20-plus years. Fans are going to sell their tickets to a single game or maybe a couple of games to try and recoup some of their investment. It's just the way it is. But you know what? If all of a sudden you're dominant at home and, and, and you're at risk of missing a great home experience and a potential biggest win of the season against an undefeated, the lone undefeated left in the NFL, people are less apt to sell their tickets to that matchup. So, look, it's, um, you know, you, you can't – I guess what, you're, what I'm saying is – you can't complain about any action or behavior from the home fans when you've lost the most home games in a row since the late 50s, period. You've lost all right and ability to uh, put anything on the fans at this point when you haven't delivered on your end with the home experience. Give them, talking about the fans, something to want to be at State Farm Stadium. Give them a product to cheer for. And at home, that has not been the case. And it once again was not on Sunday. You lose 20-17, to 17 and as bad as things looked at the end, I'm going to keep going back to it. It's how these games have started. Okay, Calvisi Consulting has a theory. Since there are no answers, in the absence of answers, in this vacuum, this black hole of answers as to what plagues the Cardinals in the first quarter, here's what I would do. If you're seeking a better, improved, much-enhanced start, then I would change the starters. In basketball, what does the coach do 
if all of a sudden he doesn't like the effort right out of the gates. He goes, okay, guess what? I'm pulling five guys off the bench, get in there. I'm changing out the entire starting lineup for the sake of change to send a message to his starting five. You're limited to some degree in the NFL with your depth and your depth chart. I get it. I would start different players to begin a game. If we're not getting the results with starting receivers, starting running backs, starting tight ends, I get it. You really only have one franchise left tackle. You know, you're limited there and you got to protect your quarterback. Heck, do you come out with some sort of crazy wildcat running quarterback package facing Tra- featuring Trace McSorley to start the game? Just to send a message that, you know what, it's unacceptable because there is one way and one way only to truly motivate in professional sports, and that is job security. And so, honestly, at this point, considering this is going to be the third straight week that you're the only team in the NFL without a point in the first quarter, unacceptable. And uh, (laughs) there is nothing, nothing that is going too far, I think, in the eyes of Cliff Kingsbury and the coaches in terms of addressing this problem that is still unresolved. Solid idea. I just here's don't the disagreement. Think it's possible, feasible, or would ever happen doable in the National Football League. One, again, you're not changing your quarterback and running back. You might not have a choice but play Eno Benjamin because right now he's your only healthy one outside of Keonta Ingram. That's a problem. Wide receiver, yeah, you're limited as far as how many you actually have. Dress, tight end, same thing, and offensive line, same thing. But to your point, though. What do you do when you're in basketball, baseball, hockey? Yeah, you make changes. National Football League, you don't see it a lot. I would say it's the exception rather than norm, but I I love where you're going, your idea, the execution of said idea. I just I don't well, agree. I'm I can't. Willing, again, I'm willing to to, to consider yeah. any and all. I just don't know right. like well, I can't think of everything. You know, you That's, guys, you, you, I let the I let the other people implement the details. I'm just the big picture concept guy over here at Calvisi Consulting. You know, when you give me a corner office and a salary to match, then I'll go ahead and I'll map all of it out. Until then, you guys do something and figure it out on your end. Because it is, it's frustrating. Look, yes. it's frustrating. And, I, and look, that's sort of my gallows humor uh, as to. But you know, what do you do if you're Cliff Kingsbury? You are thoroughly sick of getting zero return on investment in the first quarter. You're sick of the media questions. You're sick of looking at the film. You're sick of staring at the scoreboard with zero points up there during the entirety of a first quarter. You're losing the battle of scripted plays off the start, which is, let's let's face it, doesn't reflect well on anyone on offense. That's something that that offensive coaches and players, they pride themselves on. We work all week on these first 15 scripted plays, and we expect them to hit – how often does a Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan, for example, and Andy Reid, uh, they hang their hat on that opening drive. And the last time the Cardinals had an opening touchdown on their first possession was Chicago week 13. It's unacceptable. And so, um, you know, at, at this point, you're willing to listen to virtually anything out there. And, and once again, if it means, you know, making a few changes for the sake of change, I'm not against it just to send a message at this point. You look at the three possessions in the first quarter. Opening possession. First two plays, you get a first down. And then there's the swing pass to Rondell Moore that loses two yards. You end up hunting. Second possession. First play. Deep shot. Love the deep shot. Even in double coverage, you can't underthrow Hollywood Brown. That is on the quarterback. Third possession. Starts off well. James Conner converts a third and six. 
And then there's the end around to Rondell Moore. You lose five yards, and all of a sudden you're playing from behind the sticks. Little things like that, but that deep shot, and you brought it up earlier here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Kyler Murray, historically, last two years, maybe even three years, has been, if not at the top, near the top as far as completing those deep shots. He is missing far too many receivers here through the first five weeks. I looked it up, Paul. His completion percentage overall ranks 14th in the National Football League, and his overall mark of 65.6 is his worst since his rookie season. Wow. He is missing open receivers, i.e. Zach Ertz on the final two minutes. He's missing receivers that he has good chemistry with, i.e. Hollywood Brown. He's off. And I don't know what it is, but overall, his passing numbers are horrendous. He ranks 31st in yards per pass attempt, 30th in average length of pass, 31st in average length of pass completion. And overall, the passing offense in yards per play, dead last, 5.4 yards. Now that, not all on Kyler Murray. Right. All offensive players. But to me, those numbers are stunning. They truly are, even in the absence of D-Hop. You know, is D-Hop that crippling to this offense? Well, his absence was much of last year when he wasn't on the field. We saw the results of that, and there wasn't much to like. Uh, You know, is this offense just waiting for his return? Are they refusing to take things into their own hands? Have they not adapted enough? Because, honestly, my other theory as to try and spark some sort of start and production out of the gate and actually get something on the scoreboard would just be come out and break every single tendency. Didn't, didn't uh, Drew Stanton on a recent edition of uh, Red Sea Report, didn't he talk about what does Sean McVay do better than anyone? He breaks tendencies. Self-scout. I'd come out in three tight ends just to break every tendency. I'd come out and, and employ a totally different run game, whatever it is. I, I'd come out and put Kyler under center and and throw it to different receivers in different formations with different personnel groups, different route combinations, stuff that you've never put on film before. I would just break tendencies at this point for the sake of change and to show the defense something different, to make sure the defense doesn't have a read on the Cardinals offense, to make sure that the Cardinals offense has not become predictable out of the gate, especially on the horizontal game whether it's Rondell Moore or anyone else. Now, Rondell Moore did hit on third and 17, and he got 17, and that was great, but that is far from the norm. That that truly was an anomaly and an exception to what we have seen, and it's rough. Not only are those those plays not hitting, they're costing you yards and putting you behind the sticks, and we know how detrimental that is to a drive if you get behind the chains and, so, and get off schedule. So with all that in mind, honestly, I think even though it's not a bye week, I would take a lot of time if I'm the Arizona Cardinals. You know the Seahawks pretty well, even with Geno. I don't think you need a whole bunch of time to game plan for the Seahawks necessarily as a division opponent. And Pete Carroll, what I would do is self-scout your own system and try and break any and all tendencies that you've established so far. Draw up some different plays, yep. some brand-new plays, or plays perhaps you're saving for later this season, plays that you haven't run since year one in this system, or going back to Kingsbury's days at Texas Tech. Two backs in the backfield, three backs in the backfield, three tight ends, anything, Kyler under center, which would certainly make Ron Wolfley happy. But, yeah, at this point, and Cliff was asked post game as far as the slow starts, quote, 
I don't have an answer. That means you're still searching, and at this point, if you're still searching, then it's basically rip up everything you have, metaphorically speaking, and start from scratch. Yeah, and in the absence of answers, it's media guys like the two of us who try and provide an answer. Everyone's in search of what exactly is ailing and ill in this offense, especially out of the gates. I can't tell you how many times we've done his TV show and he's talked about, and we've done the play of the game or a certain play, and he'll, he'll, he'll mark it up right with the old cowboy clicker, the coach's clicker, and he'll say, yeah, I got this off Liberty game film, Hugh Freeze. <laughs> Like, what? I mean, you know, I, I stole this from the Colts. I stole this from the Ravens. He's watching anything and everything he can. And so, um, you know, I would – and that's the way it works in the NFL. Other teams steal from Cliff Kingsbury. I, I Once again, I would come up with a whole new chapter and section of the playbook that maybe you were saving for a particular opponent in week 10 or something like that. No. The time is now. The urgency is such that – I would come out with some – heck, let Cole McCoy call it off the top. I don't know. I mean, just change it up and, and do something a little different. What is working for this team through five weeks as we need to talk about this defense because for the fourth straight game, they took away the other team's best option. In this case, it was A.J. Brown. Had three catches on that first drive. Paul, he finished with three catches in the entire game. That's remarkable. Miles Sanders – held to a 58 rushing yard, second lowest total of the season. Dallas Goddard did have a good game, but he was held without a touchdown. Jalen Hurts beat this team almost single-handedly with his arm and his legs. 15 carries, seven of those, Paul, were quarterback sneaks. I went back and looked on third and fourth and short seven times, whether it was from the sideline or his own call, he went up the middle and got that extra push to move the sticks or twice to score touchdowns. Can't take away everyone if you're Vance Joseph, but basically Jalen Hurts was playing one on 11 and beating the Arizona Cardinals. You know, speaking of stealing, right, and pilfering, I would definitely take that whole Eagles approach where it's third and one, fourth and one, especially at the goal line. We're going to break the huddle right away, and we're going to get up to the line, and we're going to snap it right away, and boom, you're not even set, and there we go. I'm following Jason Kelsey into the end zone. How many times did Jalen Hurts do that? They broke the huddle in an ultra hurry and caught the Cardinals before they were able to line up, before they were able to maybe get traction and get down in a four-point stance and come off, and boom, Jalen Hurts with a 600-pound squat just bulls it in, and there's the running back or two behind him shoving him in with a bush push. I like that. It's really effective. When None of this, it's third one, fourth one, and we're in the gun, yeah. and we're automatically surrendering four yards before we even get ahead of steam. Instead, it's just the opposite. We're inches away. Guess what? We're going to we're gonna get an advantage just by coming out quick where you don't have time to assess and maybe gather your thoughts and or your plan and or your get off. And that's all we need to get six inches to a yard, somewhere in between. Very effective. And, uh, and honestly, I talked to a player after the game about it. And here's the thing. Do we ultimately definitively know that Jalen Hurts actually got the ball across the yard marker or into the end zone, broke the plane? It's such a mass of humanity. I think the officials are overmatched in that situation. They can't really tell or discern when was his knee down, where was the ball. So you're just squirming ahead in the middle of the pile before the officials can even get in there and try and discern and determine where exactly is the football and where it should be spotted. So you might have been down two seconds ago, too late. 
you've already just shot ahead, and the and the guys from behind continue to yep. push you forward. And all you have to be is either across the goal line or in first down territory by the time the officials come up and peel people off the pile. And at that point, you're there. It's already a first down or a score. And where are you spotting the football? As they say, is it the left foot or the right foot of the official yep. when they put the ball on the ground? Because it's impossible to get an angle television no matter how many different cameras you have, when you have 22 bodies all in one spot. Yeah. And it, it, to your point, yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible to yeah. figure out. I would steal that. I would honestly steal that, and, and I would use that this week in Seattle, especially with the crowd noise up there. And if it's third and one, fourth and one, if you're at the goal line, Kyler's under center. Uh, he's very strong in his lower body. I would put James Conner or a Zach Ertz behind him and just shove the quarterback in. I don't care if you're using him as a battering ram, whatever. Here we go. And, uh, you know, he's not take, taking any ridiculous shots at that point. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's very effective. I, I and, and they were very successful. I mean, did they fail to convert on any of those? Third and one, fourth and one when Jalen Hurts was doing the quarterback sneak? I think they were 100%. The only time they did, there was a third and one in the first quarter, and it was Jalen Hurts rolling out, and he slipped. And Marco yep. Wilson got credit That's for right. the tackle for loss. But otherwise, third and fourth and short, it was straight ahead, up okay. the middle. But, yeah, it, it, you know, Jalen Hurts, a little bit different of a quarterback than a Kyler Murray. But, again, at this point, what do you need to do in order to win ball games? And you can't keep asking your defense to hold the opponent out of the end zone. Once again, in the second half, no touchdowns in the second half. This team has only allowed one fourth-quarter touchdown since week one, two second-half touchdowns since week one. Here's the problem, though. When they needed to get the Eagles off the field, yep. that, that final drive, they gave up a 17-play drive that took nearly eight minutes off the clock. So, look, if there's one thing you can do for this defense right now, um, look, the football IQ, I already cited that. You know, some of these young guys are still trying to read and recognize and, and learn the game, and they're doing it on the job. And there's going to be some growing pains, and, and we've seen some of that, especially early. I thought the Eagles exploited that with the screen game. Beyond that, they need to get some more impact from their edge rushers. And when is the trade deadline, by the way? Is there anybody? anybody? November, first week of November. Is there anybody out there, you know, rent-a-rusher, anyone? Can you dial 1-800-RENT-A-RUSHER and get someone off the edge to get a little more production? Because you're getting great play out of Zach Allen and J.J. Watt, and they've been very effective getting into the backfield, getting to the quarterback, being disruptive. But at this point, they're really your best bet for a pass rush, either that or, or an all-out blitz, which you are loath to do against the Jalen Hurts with his mobility. So at this point, I wonder, because the Cardinals do have cap room, and if they're not going to extend a Zach Allen or Byron Murphy right now, do you spend some of that money, try and make a deal, even though a guy might be a free agent at the end of the year? You have plenty of low-round draft picks next season. Is there anybody off the edge from someone who's already been mathematically eliminated pretty much from the playoff chase, and they're willing to make a deal? Six sacks this season, one, Dennis Gardeck by an edge rusher. And then on Sunday, we saw basically the full complement of edge rushers. Marcus Golden, 41 snaps. Dennis Gardeck, 20. Excuse me, Devon Kennard, 20. Dennis Gardeck, 16. Victor Dumukeji, 16. Cameron Thomas, 10. By Jay Sanders made his Cardinals debut. Eight snaps on defense. So you had, outside of Jesse Lucchetta, your entire 
linebacker, outside linebackers, play at least eight snaps in that ball game. And yeah, Hertz is hard to bring down. He's very elusive, but you got to be able to affect him from the edge. And right now, all of that is coming from your defensive line. And guess what? Uh, Geno Smith can run. Geno Smith is mobile enough to be a problem. He is big enough, strong enough to be a problem. And so it's something that has to be has to be on the radar of the decision makers. Uh, obviously, they've flooded the room with bodies and numbers. There's like 20 dudes in the outside linebacker room at this point. So they're just looking for anyone. Seven official, but that's okay. Someone to step up at this point and just win the job, make the decision for the decision makers. Just get out there, put it on film. Because uh, guess what? There is still there is still a job to be won at, at edge rusher if you can be productive. Other than that, as far as the defense, I think they've been playing very, very well against some quality competition. Isaiah Simmons, a game-high 13 tackles. He played the most he's played since week one as far as snap percentage. It was up to 92. Last week was 83. Hmm. Perhaps he is heeding the coach's words as far as practice better means you'll play on Sunday and we brought up Zach Allen he's having a great season and the timing couldn't be any better considering it is a contract year Byron Murphy playing well contract year for him as well but the defense is doing its job again looking from weeks two through five this defense has been a top 10 defense and I wonder when you talk about complementary football, how much, not that there would be finger pointing or jabs back and forth, but this defense, the last three weeks, has held their opponent to 20 points or fewer. Yet, the Cardinals have only won one of those games. Wow. And that was in Carolina. Yeah, and the highest paid player on this team is in charge of the offense. And so, yeah, it, it can have the potential historically to be divisive. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think the defense is at that point yet where it's that dominant, where it's that big a disparity yet. They did let the Eagles jump out to a 14-0 lead, which is counterproductive for the offense and can at times get you out of what you want to run if you feel the urgency of being down two touchdowns. So we'll see. We'll see where this tracks. But, look, the defense has done what the offense needs to do. Get better. Adjust during the course of a game. Yeah, the Cardinals have been winning the battle of halftime adjustments, especially defensively. There, there's no question about that. Uh, whatever they did against A.J. Brown, and we got to ask Cliff Kingsbury about that. I, I failed to ask that after the game. He got one target after those three catches on the first drive. So that was really well done. I don't know if all of a sudden uh, did they assign uh, a Byron Murphy Jr. just to travel with an A.J. Brown because I did see Marco Wilson with against Devontae Smith quite a bit. And Devontae, they were targeting Devontae Smith against Marco Wilson and or just targeting Marco Wilson early in that game. But I'm looking at some of the defensive numbers for the first time and Zach Allen with eight tackles. Once again, as a defensive lineman, guy who plays over the, over the center quite a bit, that, that's remarkable production. He had the sack. He had two tackles for loss. He had two quarterback hits. He had a pass defensed. Remember he did the old Dikembe Mutombo uh, and wagged the finger after he had the batted pass. You know, someone tweeted in after the Big Red Rage that why aren't we calling Zach Allen Sack Allen? And uh, I brought that up in the pregame. Bertrand Berry, by the way, really good to have B-Train yep. back on the broadcast. B-Train's like, oh, okay now. As a guy who went to a Pro Bowl <laughs> and had a 14-and-a-half sack season, like, let's Paulie pump your brakes a little bit over there on the, on the Sack Allen. But – Hey, that's the goal. That's the goal for him not only to get a contract, 
get this Cardinals team into the playoffs, but maybe by the end of the year you earn the nickname Sack Allen. Pauly Pigskin with the consulting advice here on <laughs> Cardinals cover two yeah. at the start at the end. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if Zach Allen is going to be blowing up your phone as far as trying to uh, market Zach uh, Sack hey. Allen. But, uh, hey, I mean, yeah. you, I've, I've heard worse ideas. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of players, they have their contract agent and then they have a marketing <laughs> agent. So, uh, you know, Sack, give me a call. I'll say this. He has, talking about. Zach Allen, he has played very, very well. But again, it's to me, it's 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 all offense. Uh, the defense has made tremendous strides, and it's all young players. Cardinal fans don't like to hear it as far as the draft, but you're talking about your Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins, Zach Allen, Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson. Yeah, those are Murphy. all those are all draft picks. Yep, they are. And and so, you know, the defense. Once again, like you said, is definitely a playoff caliber defense. What happens to this offense in Seattle? Um, what happens when DeAndre Hopkins comes back? Okay, you know, honestly, you can't render a final judgment or verdict on the offense until D Hop comes back. What's it going to look like when all of a sudden you presume he's getting the double coverage or bracket help over the top that he's always garnered, and then how does that trickle down to a Hollywood Brown? Because Marquise Hollywood Brown has delivered so far. He's definitely been worth the asset trading away pick number 23 in the first round. Just look what he's able to do. What is the upside? What is the potential then with D-Hop out on that field as well? Um, and so, but once again, I, I, I do those numbers on Kyler and the completion percentage, what does that say? And does, how much of that contributed to his frustration after the game? Not meeting the media for an hour. Coming out to the podium in full uniform. Yeah, there's obvious palpable frustration, not only from the quarterback, from that locker room. You know, I was down there, agree after the game, and and I, I give props to Bino Benjamin and Jalen Thompson for for being the stand-up guys and coming and doing the post-game radio interview. But emotions were raw in that locker room after the game, and and if you're just asking me to put my finger to the wind, having done this for almost two decades, that's good because you can lose a game and there can be apathy, yep. or you can lose a game and there can be anger. And I saw a lot of visible, visceral anger from the Cardinals after that loss for a multitude of reasons. I think Kyler doesn't like losing to Oklahoma quarterbacks. He takes pride in that 4-0 record he had coming into the game against former Oklahoma quarterbacks. He brought it up himself during his press conference. So I think that's one reason he was salty. He missed some passes. His completion percentage isn't what it used to be. And then at the very end of the game, you know, whether it was whatever was going on, it obviously – wasn't the execution they wanted that they practice a lot you know you're out there at practice they're always going through the two-minute drill those end-of-game situations and so uh you know you strive to be flawless and that was anything but um and so for all that and more uh, guys were visibly angry this is no more this september is the new august there's no more easing into this and, and maybe just maybe um that was just yet another wake-up call of sorts where these guys realize, you know what, some of that anger, we got to come out of the gates with that kind of intensity, effective immediately. Sense of urgency from the start, yeah, not waiting around. And I think this team is close or tired of being close. They were close to beating the Eagles. They were close to beating the Rams. This team needs a win, and perhaps it's coming this week in Seattle. Hey, there have been a few norms uh, in the NFC West, and it goes something like this. The Rams always beat the Cardinals. Uh, the Niners always beat the Rams. 
The Cardinals always win in Seattle. Seattle always wins in the AZ. And then Seattle has had the Niners number. It's this whole cyclical, you know, force that goes in between all these members of the NFC West neighborhood as everyone looks over the block wall into the other guy's backyard. But there has been one norm that the Cardinals go up to Seattle. They feed off the energy, the hatred from the 12s, all the noise. You literally can be standing shoulder to shoulder screaming at each other and you can't hear. You, you can't. It's by far the loudest road venue in the league. Don't give me Kansas City or any other. No, it is Seattle. Now, whether it's enhanced or not, <laughs> I'm not really sure about it. I'll leave that up someone else um, because it is an outdoor venue, and it's hard to believe that the decibel level could be that high naturally. Anyway, for whatever reason, the Cardinals uh, can mark down a win, not only in Seattle, but they've won six of eight at Levi's as well in Santa Clara. So there's just those weird sort of trends and if you get to three and three, and here comes D Hop, and uh, you know what? That's sort of where everyone figured they were going to be from the get go. But if you lose in your two and four, now that is a dire. I don't care if you're only still in week seven. That is a dire circumstance that you're going to have to work hard to, to get out of. You already lost to Philadelphia, so if you're thinking about any potential playoff matchup, guess what? You're going to the East Coast. Yeah, in, in in January at this point. That was something B.A. always used to talk about. They had that early season loss against the Packers, and, you know, or it was against the New England out of the gates. They lost, and right away, what B.A. say after week one? Well, now you're going to Lambeau in January. Yep. So these are the kind of things. These are sort of losses that can not only impact you, obviously, in the playoff positioning from the get-go, but in where a playoff game potentially could be played. All is not lost, but it has not looked – all that great in these first five games from the offensive perspective. Defense, though, has held its side of the ball. And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Rayalu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.